welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and finds normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And we have got another road trip for you, but before we get started, I want to address... Are we there yet? No. Okay. I want to address things that are going on in the world. Just going to briefly address it, or at least in the country. Um, this isn't a political podcast or anything like that, but I feel like it needs to be addressed at some in some way and not just ignored because that's kind of been the problem. Um, um, uh, with our podcast and everything that we are about, we're about inclusivity and everybody's important. Everybody matters. But right now there are people that are hurting and they're crying out for help. And that's what this whole movement's been about. That's what Black Lives Matter is. And we as a podcast and as a family, I think I speak for everybody when I say we stand with Black Lives Matter. Yep. But that being said, though, just know that we understand the, the tr- we, well, we can never fully understand. But we understand that people are hurt and we understand that they are expressing themselves in trying to be heard and we hear them not that we have any power to make massive changes within the world in the community but we hear you and we, and stand, we stand with behind you, you. Yeah. so now let's get on this road trip are we there yet we have to make a s- <laughs> we have to make a stop that's what happens when a ride ride at the, at the plane station <laughs> That's my word. We have to make a stop at the plane station before we can go to our next place because <laughs> we are going over the pond. Which one? Duck Pond? Sure. Okay. To jolly old England. We're leaving Eli behind, I guess. <laughs> He's over on Lindsay Street. You guys told me the Duck Pond at 3 p.m. I was there. <laughs> and we are going over to jolly old England to the city of Brighton. God save the queen. It'll brighten your day. And let me tell you, every single road trip we've done, I've wanted to visit, but I've not wanted to visit any of them as much as I want to visit Brighton. Not only is Brighton, England, the most haunted city in the UK. Or so they say. So they say. I've heard that it it fluctuates with London, but... From the things that I've read, the atmosphere of Brighton sounds like I would have a blast there. It sounds like the atmosphere of like Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. Like it just yeah. has that eerie feeling just because everyone knows about it and whatnots. Yes. So to all of our Brighton listeners, there are quite a few of them. I mean we're up into the I think four or five hundred downloads in Brighton. Damn. So Thank you for all your support. Uh, we definitely have some fans in Brighton, so God we are sure you. it is Brighton, England, and not Brighton, Michigan. Yes, there is definitely a Brighton, England, and a Brighton, Michigan. We might just have to go ahead and cover Brighton, <laughs> Michigan later. Um, <clears throat> but from everything that all the statistics show me on uh, Buzzsprout and then in, on Spotify and Stitcher, that's okay. where <laughs> it seems Wanted to be to coming check. from. <laughs> oh shit! We did the recording or research for the wrong fucking city. But I understand why they might be interested in a paranormal podcast in Brighton, England, because there's a shit ton the, going. They're on. all about it over there. So, Dave, 
According to travel writer and Brighton resident Luis Rodon, who is considered a destination expert for the Telegraph. Is there anywhere else in the UK where a skateboarding Jack Russell or an over-rouged octogenarian in tatty black Edwardian clothes would be seen as just part of ordinary everyday life? In Brighton, the annual naked bike ride raises a cheer rather than a jeer. And nobody gives a fig when the bearded young man in fishnets and a tartan mini flashes a cheeky twirl. Brighton has color and character in droves, and it's hard not to be wooed by its inclusive and impulsive vibe. She continues. Brighton is a fiercely all-season city. Of course, it can be packed in the hot summer days, but when it comes to shoulder season, the crowd thins and the locals take back their town. Join them snacking and slurping on Sussex Street at the April and September Brighton and Hove Food and Drink Festival. December can be wonderfully atmospheric. The wind-whipped seafront exudes a moody charm of its own, and starlings rise in a black cloud above the ruined West Pier. At weekends throughout December, you can trawl the ever-expanding Christmas Artist Open House Festival. A, part, or a perfect opportunity to snoop around at those Regency homes, enjoy mulled wine, and pick out a handmade present or two. Um, back on the naked uh, bicycle ride. Please tell me they keep the seats on those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing the, the South Park episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. That would... I mean, hell, just seats, though, being naked just doesn't sound yeah. pleasant. Um, maybe they, a lot of them stand while they ride. You do you, boo-boo. You do you. <laughs> I don't even like riding a bike with clothes on, let alone doing it naked. Yeah, I need those biker shorts with an extra little cushion there in the back. <laughs> <laughs> the Brighton Journal informs us. Brighton really is ancient. Some of the stories bring this home. Brighton has a ghost ship. La Nicholas, which is occasionally seen on the horizon. Okay, we are familiar with ships in Brighton. They are big, blocky things carrying a lot of rectangular containers, right? Well, you should be able to spot La Nicholas. It is a smaller and has sails. It sank 800 years ago. Other tales are older still. We have a demon dog, a spirit called Chuck, which follows people on the beach in the stormy weather, and maybe a remnant from Celtic or Saxon legend. The most hunted pub in Brighton, and there are ghosts in every pub in our city, is reputedly the Druid's Head, with at least two resident ghosts and, to date, over a hundred recorded instances of psychic phenomena. 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 Why the Druid's Head? Well... As every horror fan knows, the worst place to build is on a, on the old cemetery. Yeah, just ask Johnny's Charbroil. Mm-hmm. It ain't even there no more. The builders of the Druid Head, the first recorded, the first record of the pub is from 1510. But as with much of the town, nobody knows when it was actually built. Went one better. They built the pub next to a Druidic stone circle. The Druids, if you don't know were cult-worshipped by the locals when Caesar first landed on these shores. They practiced human sacrifice and alarmed the usual tolerant Romans so much that they wiped them out. This was 2,000 years ago. 
Most ghostly phenomena in Bryden are more recent. There have been sightings of monks and nuns from the medieval period. The lanes in particular plays host to one of the Brighton's most notorious spirits, the blue nun. One fish, one nun, two nun, red nun, blue nun. <laughs> not Dr. Seuss. <laughs> the I will nun. not eat this <laughs> nun in a box. <laughs> I will not eat it wearing socks. <laughs> the blue nun has been a fixture in Brighton for centuries, particularly in Black Lion Street and Middle Street, and especially around the Black Lion Pub, where another notorious remnant also lurks. It's the notorious R-E-V-E-N-N. <laughs> <laughs> the nun appears to be in distress, has a blue habit or a blue glow around her, and when seen at close range, has blue and asphyxiated face. Blue, da boo dee da boo die. If I was blue, I would die. Oh. <laughs> We've solved the mystery. <laughs> Although she is centuries old, she is still regularly seen. The blue nun famously left a Japanese student screaming in the street after an unexpected encounter in 2009. How many times do you see a ghost expectedly? <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> That's oh, a good point. There you are, George. How you doing? <laughs> hey, George, I knew I invited you over. I expected you to be here about 1, but it's one fifteen. You're late. <laughs> Why is she in this condition? Well, legend has it that she was walled up by her order after an affair with a fisherman or soldier. Perhaps she suffocated, explaining her blue face. While the blue nun is an anonymous, we know the names of many of her ghostly colleagues. The Phantom in the Black Line is reputed to be Derek Carver, a local Protestant who was burned in a barrel of pitch in 1555 in the reign of Bloody Mary and is occasionally encountered in the pub, cellar, and attic. Spare a thought also for poor Henry Solomon, Brighton's first ever chief constable, who haunts the basement of Brighton Town Hall after being murdered there with a red-hot poker during a prison breakout. Ow! Ow! Uh, Poor guy. I'll spare a thought for him. Many of the stories raise one final point about Brighton, which is what an astonishingly violent place our city has been in the past. Murder victims abound, and some of the re- some and some of the resulting phantoms are horrific. The ghost of John Robinson in a, is a case in point. Robinson was an 18th century adventurer and mercenary who decided to try his luck in Persia, or modern day Iran. He was brutally tortured and blinded with hot irons after leading a failed rebellion. What the fudge is up with these people and hot shit? <laughs> Have you ever tried to cut someone with a cold knife? It just doesn't work. <laughs> Chad? I guess it cauterizes the wound. Exactly. Which then in turn makes them live longer, makes them more torturous. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. Tell like me what you want, John. I don't like it. Hot coal. Oh, shit. He was brutal. Uh... <laughs> Bend over. Here's a hot poker. I'll cauterize your wound. <laughs> <clears throat> but made it back to Bryden before finally dying in Old Stein. Poor old Robinson's ghost was such a mess when it was seen on the road there in 1969 that a police officer threw up at the scene and another witness was hospitalized with shock. 
that's crazy for a ghost to like even appear in that form. Yeah. Like usually you hear about ghosts and they look like their younger selves or something like that. They don't usually take the form of when they died. That's like a sixth sense kind of thing. Like that's how the little boy was seeing the ghosts. You know, I guess, yeah. I guess some of the psychic shows that I've watched, they talk about seeing ghosts that way in order for them to describe how they died. Mm-hmm. But, um, just not a normal thing that you hear about, like the roadside ghost. You know what I mean? Normally yeah. roadside ghosts are wearing white flowing gowns or, you know, wearing their soldier uniform or something <clears throat> like that. Yeah, that's true. Well, another ghostly resident you might not want to encounter who may also have been the victim of violence in the, is the notorious Black Belly. Black Belly haunts the area around the Churchill Square shopping center, but was already a resident when the center was built. Apparently, been being given his name by non-Bretonian workers who saw the Phantom often enough to name him. Before that, he was known to the locals as Angry Mick, and haunted the Georgian housing estate which existed in the area. Black Belly, like the Blue Nun, appears to be a living person when first encountered. He is usually seen in your peripheral vision at first, and is a large, bald man, and clearly in his fifties or late sixties. His shirt is open at the bottom, revealing a distended, bruised stomach. Close inspection will also show that he is floating a few inches above the ground. If you see Black Belly, it is best not to look at him directly. If you do, he will reputedly rush towards you. I'll bet in a weird, motionless way, wailing, and then disappear. Black Belly even made it into a police report when a telecoms engineer reported what he had thought was an encounter with a madman. Surveillance footage showed a man react to something and flee the scene. But of Black Belly himself, there was no sign. He's been spotted multiple uh, or multiple CCTV footage shows people reaction to him. But yeah. he's never been recorded. Oh, very cool. Not all of Brighton's ghosts were victims, though. A hangman one of two ghostly executioners in Brighton is reporting to haunt the Hangleton area of West Hove. Now, did they have to name it that? <laughs> <laughs> the Hangleton area. <laughs> uh, which is, as the name suggests, used to house a gallows and gibbets in which hanged criminals, hanged criminals were displayed. The ghost is known to local legends as Thomas Kipper a 17th century hangman who took pleasure in slowly hanging his victims to extend their suffering. He himself eventually hanged by his successor. <laughs> Dumbass. Karma. Now, can they be called victims if they're being executed? I mean, I guess some of them weren't actually, like, did something. Some of them were just hung. True. So, I don't know. He himself was eventually hung- hanged by his successor, Francis Gray after being convicted of his third known murder. Kipper is seen on Hangleton Road between Old Shoreham Road and Hangleton Way. He is usually seen through windows and is tall tall and broad, wearing ragged clothing clothes with a black hood, which may be an executioner's cap. He carries a staff and has a wooden leg, yellow teeth, greasy skin, a dead eye, and matted hair. He's Eli. (laughs) Encounters... 
with Kipper have re- are reported accompanied by noises including a loud thud and tapping sounds. Perhaps the fall of the hatch and the new gate two-step as prisoners kicked and struggled to survive while being hanged. Like, back, like Blackbelly, the ghost seems aware of and will look at the witnesses, but vanishes shortly after. Well, these are some of the best-known stories. Strange tales abound in our city. Many, like the ones above, are violent and frightening. Others, like the small boy in pajamas with a wooden toy seen around the Jubilee Library, are sad and eerie. The Ghost Walk of the Lanes runs every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. It lasts for 70 minutes and begins at the Druid's Head Pub. No need to book, just turn up. It costs only 8 euro for adults and 4 for children. According to the website ghostwalkbrighton.com, join actor and master storyteller Rob Marks as the eccentric Silas the Ghostwalker, or his fellow ghostwalkers Jasper and Ebenezer, for a 70-minute walk around Brighton's famous lanes visiting eight haunted sites. This small area, with its narrow passages and tightly packed buildings, was once the original fishing settlement of Brighthelmstone, and it is the oldest part of the city and unquestionably the most haunted. Along the spine-tingling tales the walk takes in much of the area's rich and varied history, the walk includes eight macabre tales of brutal murders, hideous apparitions, boisterous poltergeist, wandering nuns, and Brighton's infamous Jack the Ripper connection. Silas, Jasper, and Ebenezer all perform in full Victorian attire, complete with Gladstone bag, containing a few surprises. <laughs> well, while we're at this point, and I just kind of brought up the Jubilee Library or the Brighton Library, I kind of go in a little bit more detail on that since that was already kind of brought up a little bit. <clears throat> Brighton was one of the British towns which really took a severe hit during World War II since it was actually used as a dump site for Luftwaffe pilots to jettison unused bombs before retiring. In 1940, the Odeon Theater was bombed during a ma- ma- uh, matinee performance, killing a staggering number of local school children. Jeez. This prompted Brighton to be declared part of the front line. The beaches were closed, the piers were dismantled, and armed guards patrolled the roads in and out of the city. One on particularly affected area was a site where the Brighton Library, or the Jubilee Library, now stands. This is a fairly new development since up until 1990s, the remains of the bombed buildings were still visible here. As you might expect, the area has several ghosts linked to it, including the young boy in pajamas. So, Eli, where are you taking us? (coughs) (laughs) Do we have blue nuns? Mine has a blue room. Ooh, blue's my favorite color. Yeah. She's not a partition, sorry. Shit. Mine has a blue room and a nun. Ooh. Best of both worlds it. for you there, you yeah. I get, oh, fuck, I hate the nun. The modern world is responsible for some curious contrast. Go to any town center or industrial area, and you'll be caught up in the noise and bustle of char- characteristic modern urban life. Walk or drive just a short distance from the small urban sprawl. However... And you might find some something older, odder, and infinitely more mysterious. Past and present overlapped. Sometimes clash painfully. 
but neither ever quit succeeds in driving the other out. To the west of Brighton City Center, in a quiet residential area of Hove, is a park. There's nothing unusual about that. Of course, such places are thankfully a common feature of the British landscape, providing jaded town dwellers with a vital link to the natural world. St. Anne's Wells Gardens is, however, not quite your average local park. Today, gardens are known primarily for their iron-bearing spring, now named St. Anne's Well. Natural springs have always occupied an important place in folklore, and St. Anne's Wells is no exception. The site owes its name, apparently, to a Saxon lady, Anna Frieda. She sounds very Saxon. Yes, yes, she does. Yes, Saxy, if you will. The only daughter of the Thane of Pristune, when her lover was killed, a spring rose from the earth where her tears had fallen. The area around the well might have been used as a place of worship for centuries. And the spring itself is supposedly the endpoint of a ley line. This so far is much like the other fae wistful folk tales that are common in Britain. There might be a darker side to St. Anne's Wells. However, it has been suggested that the site is a hellmouth or a gateway between our world and the spirit world. A witch is said to walk to St. Anne's at midnight, while other tales tell of, a demonic, of demonic children with cat-like eyes. Why, even old Nick himself is said to put in the occasional appearance Infuriatingly, I can't seem to find a great deal of information on the supposed manifestations. But then real-life ghost stories, unlike their fictional counterparts, often lay nearly a tied-up plot. Visiting St. Anne's Wells Garden on a bright spring day when the sunshine alone would probably be enough to drive away any lingering spirits at first sight was much like any other British park. <clears throat> small oasis of tranquility, the midst of urban sprawl, filled with dog walkers and young mothers with children. There were some sports facilities and cafes, but at first, no sight of spring. <clears throat> and this is just the general area. So encountering any de- demonic children or witches uh, during this time, or during the daytime, is unlikely, but most sightings have been seen, obviously, at night and around the 3 o'clock area. The witching hour. The witching hour. Um, but most people do uh, think that the Hellmouth is generally in the area of that uh, main spring area and also the um, the ley line endpoint as well is high in uh, spiritual energy. So that's pretty much uh, that. We'll have to do an episode sometime on ley lines. They're really fascinating. Ley lines in like... Sorry. Uh, ley lines in like any movie that I've ever seen that involved ley lines have been super duper duper interesting. Like hard to fall asleep on. If you've ever wanted to fall asleep on a movie, it's hard to fall asleep on it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the main things or one of the main movies that I've seen are, uh, sorry, is, um, oh, Angels and Demons. And also, um, the, I forgot what the name of it is, but it's the another one that he's done where it's about the bloodline of, of, uh, uh, the chalice, if you will, where Jesus had a daughter, basically. The Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci Code, thank you. Um, that had to do with the ley lines as well. And that, I mean, that was interesting as hell to me. Very interesting. Ruby. 
if you will. So, Dave, tell yes. us about this phantom dog. Fancy dog? Phantom. Phantom? Phantom. Don't you want a Fanta? I'd love an orange Fanta. Wanna Fanta? Don't you wanna wanna Fanta? Don't you wanna wanna Fanta? Sure. Descriptions descriptions of the black shuck vary in both shape and size, from that of a large dog to being the size of a calf or horse. W.A. Dutt, in his 1901 Highways and Byways in East Anglia, describes the creature thus. He takes the form of a huge black dog and sprouts along dark lanes and lonesome fields footpaths, where... Although his howling makes the hear's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. You may know you may know him at once, should you see him by his fiery eye. I have a fiery eye. No, you're missing an eye. Oh shit, sorry. sorry. <laughs> he has but one. And that like a cyclops. Hey, I'm a cyclops. <laughs> Is in the middle of his head. The black dog has a history of malevolence and darkness, told and retold throughout British folklore as a portent of evil and an omen of doom. Dun, dun, dun. Described variously as a ghost, a shapeshifter, a hellhound, and even his satanic majesty himself. Hell Satan. The tale of the black shuck is a prominent story that sits within the Black Dog paranormal phenomena. Phenomena! According to legend, in 1577, a congregation was gathered at the Holy Trinity Church at Blissburg in Suffolk. While the Christians worshipped, the Black Shuck burst through the church doors. He proceeded along the aisle, killing several people in his wake. Then the beast stopped to let out a blood-curdling howl, (laughs) causing the steeple of the church to collapse. Then he fled with great speed. Later on, when the church door was inspected, there were scorch marks where the black shuck had laid his paws. Oh, he's Satan. Just a few hours later, ten miles away in the village of Bungay Solfkik. Bungay? Bengay? That's his brother. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Bungay. <laughs> He's Bengay. He's, yeah. The doors burst open on St. Mary's Church. The black shuck ran through the building, causing devastation and mayhem. A group of worshippers were trapped by the monster, and as they cried out to their god, the demon dog raised his paw, and with one mighty swipe, he broke the necks of two of the men guarding the women and children. The black shuck then legged it, leaving devastation, pain, and death behind. Leg it! The black shuck is known to follow tourists along Brighton Beach. So if you are out on the beach and the weather begins getting stormy, W.A. Dutt warns, Such an encounter might bring you the worst luck. It is even said that to meet him is to warn that your death will occur. Before the end of the year. So we'll, so you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. Shut them, even if they are uncertain whether it's a dog fiend or the voice 
the wind you hear. So I learned one thing in particular about this dog creature thing. Yes. Dealing with a Dover demon? No. You can't hide behind your religion. Ooh. Because apparently even the church ain't sacred for this thing. Oh, shit. See, Satan can't go in churches. It's sad. You can't hide behind a religion because it's not physical. (laughs) But people do it all the time. It's like John Cena waving his hand in front of his face. You can't see me. <laughs> but I can, don't you? I'm Christian. You can't see me. I'm Christian. You can't see me. They think in what? Demons or Tyrannosaurus Rex? <laughs> if I don't move, he can't see me. <laughs> I got big heads, small arms. Well, no. According to American Southern superstition, the devil himself is an easy entity to trick. Ooh. Yes. So maybe that devil dog tricked Satan into becoming a dog. Like him. So he could just <laughs> It looks Chad's giving you right now. I don't care. His ideas are way more intelligent than mine Does, are. Is that brain working? No, it's not. Can I we restart it? So. Can we turn at, the thing in the behind me? At the beginning of that though, when you were talking about the size of it, I where cow did pop into my head. <laughs> so oh. As the foremost export uh, expert on oh board, <laughs> I export them too. Expert on warehouse. Are they beach dwellers? And can they burst into flames? Uh, they cannot. Um, sadly, uh, they're not spotted overseas. It's an it's, American, it's an American thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess. And I guess they have been spotted in India. Technically, they would have uh, wear sheep over there. Wear sheep. Yeah. No warehouse. I'm the foremost expert on that one. <laughs> you ain't copy me, bastard. <laughs> you ain't smart enough. Oh yeah. Well, well. All right. Well, anyway. Anyway, we're gonna any user. hop on across that beach mm-hmm. because they talk like this in England, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, they talk like this right here. Maybe the tourists. Well, we're gonna have zero listeners by the time this episode's over. <laughs> I'm sorry, Amy. It's been a fun ride. She's Australian, listeners. dumbass. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to do an English all accent. And all I'm doing is nailing freaking Australian. <laughs> so there's another lo- uncomfortable location for many to visit, regardless of any of the paranormal sight- sightings. Brighton's West Pier is both both beautiful and unnerving. After it tragically burnt down in 2003, only the haunting structure of its iron remains stand boldly in the sea. Some have claimed the smell of burning along with the sea f- along the seafront late at night, whilst others say a ghost of a young woman who died in 1980 of a drug overdose is often often seen walking alongside some of the city's popular clubs before walking out to the sea and disappearing into the pier skeleton. To add a little spookiness to this story and relate it back to the shuck, just two months after that that one burnt down, the second pier that's just a little bit to the never east, east of that pier also had a fire, and the fire broke out on the ghost train attraction on the Brighton's Palace Pier. Kind of an odd coinkydink, if you ask me. Don't you think Synchronicity. Snickerdicities. Snickerdicities. Was there a Jersey Devil that did anything to make no sure? No Jersey that Devils. Know? Well, damn it, I'll tell you what. Now, Palace Pier is just like all the piers that you have like in Galveston and like 
New Jersey and all that. They have like the amusement parks and things like that. They have this ride called the Haunted Hotel, which is like a train tur- train ride roller coaster thing. I got really excited. I found a video where you could actually ride the train. It looks kind of like... It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. If It's a Small World was put together by a high school props team. Kind of there there's so much potential there. Like all these like empty dark spaces. And then you might have one little animatronic ghost that comes flying down. And like that's it. Like I was sadly disappointed in the ride and I feel like those who run the haunted uh, hotel on the Palace Pier have so much potential. They just need to just a little bit more, just, just a little bit more. Like maybe hire, hire like the college prop experts. <laughs> just, just so close. And that seems to be what everybody else was saying on like TripAdvisor and everything that it had so much potential, but it was kind of a letdown. But I had to check it out because it was called the Haunted Hotel. All right, now for the main attraction. There's a spooky guy in an underwear? Maybe. Okay. Preston Manor is formal the, is the former manor house of the ancient Saxton village of Preston. The name Preston derives from the Anglo-Saxton for priests holding. By the time the Doomsday Book of 1068 which was basically a census for King William the Conqueror to determine what taxes had been owed during the reign of King Edward the Confessor to allow William to reinsert rights of the crown and assess the power that lay after the redistribution of the land following the Norman Conquest. The property was one of eight manors belonging to the Bishopric of Chichester. The bishops held Preston for about 470 years, Around 1500, the bishops gave up farming their manor and started renting it out to tenants. In 1510, the manor of Preston was leased to Edward Elrington. In 1959, an act of parliament enabled Queen Elizabeth I to force an exchange of property, and the the property was then owned by by the crown. But the Elrington family continued to lease and farm the land. In 1569... The step-grandson of Edward L. Elrington, Anthony Shirley, inherited the manor. Anthony's son Thomas then became the first lay lord of the manor, buying it back from the crown in 1628. The house stayed in the Shirley family for four generations until Anthony Shirley II's grandson, Richard, died unmarried in 1705. It was inherited jointly by Richard's three sisters, Anne, Judith, and Mary, and then passed to a sole ownership of Mary and her husband, Thomas Western, in 1712. It stayed in the Western family until 1758 when it was sold to William Stanford. The Stanford family would own the Preston Manor for the longest amount of time from 1758 to the early 1920s. Now, the house has undergone many changes in its lifetime, um, even being completely demolished and rebuilt in 1738 by Thomas Western. Other wings were added as well as expansions throughout the years. Now, with so many families living in this home for so many years, 
there's bound to be some leftover energy, right? I mean, I would expect plenty of residual hauntings happening in the home. But Preston Manor is listed as one of the most haunted locations in all of the UK. Which being that it's in Brighton, in the Brighton area, makes complete sense considering Brighton is one of the most haunted cities in all of the UK. But with that being said, let's get into some of the reported phenomenon that happens in in Preston Manor. Shall we? We shall. The most haunted room in the house is the blue room. It used to be a bedroom back when it was a private home, but it's been turned into a library. In this room, there have been reports of disembodied hands grasping the bedpost. This has been reported by at least two guests in the house. One guest wrote down his encounter in the blue room. He said he'd been suffering from a cold and dismissed himself early from a dinner party and retreated to the blue room. Everything was normal, and then while he was lying in bed reading, the curtain rings began to cling together. His attention was then drawn to the bedpost, where he claims to have seen a dead man's hand grasping at the post. It frightened him, and he quickly left the room. Also in this room was a cupboard. People reported hearing screams and crashings coming from inside the cupboard. Must have been an Indian in the cupboard. Oh, man, that makes me think of um, The Conjuring. Made me think of Harry Potter. (laughs) The cupboard in The Conjuring when the hand comes out of it and tries to grab her. Yeah. That's literally the opposite of uh, Chronicles of Narnia right there. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the television show, show The Most Haunted visited this site in 2006 and had one of their mediums pick up on a hateful, nasty spirit in this room, referring to him as the kind of spirit that would take pleasure in jump scares and like to play and feed on people's fear. Many visitors to Preston Manor even have had a, have problems entering this room, saying that it has a very heavy and uneasy feeling about it. A, secur- a security guard reported that he was in the back part of the house unlocking the doors when he heard a bell go off in the Bell's Passage. Now, the Bell's Passage is an area um, that connects, that an area in the servants' quarters that connects the different rooms to the house to a bell so the servants would know where they needed to go to help with things to serve. Upon inspection of the bells, the one that was going off was the bell that was connected to the library, once the blue room. To add more spook to this, all of the bells have been disconnected. Wow. The stairwell down to the basement where the servants' quarters are located is reported to have some activity as well. It was reported on many occasions that people hear a second set of footsteps behind them when they're going up and down the stairs. So what's really interesting about um, a lot of the uh, servants' quarters situations, like even when we covered like um, voodoo uh, in Louisiana, there's a lot of situations where, uh, and I'm not even going to give a rough, rough type of estimate on that, but the majority of those situations where there is um, servants' quarters or slave quarters, if you will, uh, they're usually they usually have spirits that are very, very, very either um, upset or show their aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's playing bells that are disconnected or, you know, touching the back of people's necks. It's, yeah. It gets very interesting. There also seems to be a lot of residual energy yes, when it comes much. to um, servants. Yeah. Kind of like almost that they just continue to do their job even after they've passed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and this next story is kind of part of that. Uh, there was a security guard in one of the service rooms with a woman who was vision impaired and had her service dog with her. Like with most service dogs, the dog was well-mannered and did as he was told. After being in the room for a little bit, the dog started to whimper and getting uneasy and pulling on his lead. The security guard looked in the direction that the dog was facing and saw a young woman in the room tucking in the bed. He turned back for a second to look at the dog, and when he turned back, the woman was completely gone. After that, the dog went completely back to normal. Wow. Wow. That's another thing about like spiritual energy. Animals usually sense them a lot easier than humans do, and it's not until, yeah, or sorry, a lot easier than yeah, humans do, and it's not such. And even kids sense them more so. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's a situation where um, we don't really feel it until there's something like a drop in energy or a drop in temperature. Um, if there's some sort of um, uh, disruption in, in, in electronics or even like movement of items that should not move on their, their own. Sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's audio, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Now there's another part of the house that's often used for children, like on field trips to come in and learn what it was like to live in Victorian times. After they use the room, they go in and they pick it up, lock it up. But one time upon entering the room the next day, they find that all of the things had been moved and drug around the room. There were also been reports of like hairpins being thrown across the room. Footsteps are often reported just outside this room as well. On the episode of Most Haunted, which is season 8, episode 10, if you want to check it out. It's a pretty interesting episode. Um, one of the first events that they had happen on the episode, there were two people in this room the night before the real investigation began, and they kept hearing footsteps right outside the room. They even had the door slam on, right, uh, slam on them right in, right in front of them. There's even something picked up on the camera that they claim was an apparition that they both saw while they were walking into the hallway to investigate the footsteps. Fascinating. Um, now, the most well-known ghost of Preston Manor is that of Sister Agnes. A seance was held in the Cleves Room on 11th, the November 11th, 1896 by the Stanford family. For several, for several years, the family had been troubled um, by inexplicable, inexplicable phenomenon, including silk dresses being cut into diamond patterns, uh, mysterious figures seen in the staircase. The medium Anne Goodrich Freer re- ve- revealed that she was re- receiving a message from a nun called Sister Agnes, who was wrongfully excommunicated from the church and buried in an unconsecrated ground ground outside of the house it was claimed that if she was given a a christian burial the hauntings would cease could she be the blue nun a year later there was an epidemic of sore throats in the house all the drains in the house were inspected and an skeleton of a woman was found buried under the terrace outside of the dining room whoa Um, that took a turn (laughs) The bones were certified to be about 400 years old. Accounts of what happened next are a little confusing, but the skeleton was apparently reburied discreetly by a local gravedigger. Agnes is still seen from time to time, time to time in the graveyard and near the church just next to the property. And some still report seeing a woman in white from time to time that they believe is Sister Agnes. 
Now children will report seeing Sister Agnes clear as day. Like, like she's an actual person. Um, Who's that creepy lady in the white dress, Mommy? She's saying, come with me. Come with me. <laughs> she says she'll take me to the father. Preston Manor hosts a haunted house experience where the guests are led by their ghost team. And they read you, lead you through a Victorian spiritualist experience with seances and all of that. During the night, or during one night, there was a woman who was during the seance stood up with this glazed over look in her eye walked over to the window where the shutters were drawn and said, I can see her. Why is there a, 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 a very angry, very scared person that's yelling, run, bitch, run? In, <laughs> in my head right now, I'm like, run, bitch, run! She gonna kill you! Is that you doing every horror movie? It is. <laughs> hey, you know hey. me so well, brother. Anyway, um, some other people got up and were looking out through a little hole in the shutters and there was a woman in white walking through the graveyard. Whoa. There are many other paranormal things that visitors and employees experience in the manor. Everything from footsteps and slamming doors to hearing your name called out or furniture moving to even taps on the walls. Are all in all, Preston Manor is a pl- prime place to experience something paranormal. And I want to visit. They Me actually too. they're closed down right now because of the COVID stuff. Yeah. Um, but I was looking on their well, website. Oh, yeah, you don't want to get COVID to the spirits. They do m- mansion murder nights. <gasps> oh. And they're even doing them online right now. Oof. Where you can like do tours through a few of the rooms during the game. I've always wanted oh. to do those, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, mystery. Mur- murder mystery. Yeah. Murder mysteries. I've always wanted to do that, man. But yeah, I mean, the episode of Most Haunted was really interesting. Now, they did it on June 6th. 2006. And they did it specifically this night because it was the devil's night, you know. Mm-hmm. 666. And um party with the devil bitch? Yeah. Okay. And they had a lot of activity. Now, oh. June 6 right now is on a Saturday. The 6th the day of the week. Oh. Synchronicity. <laughs> now, I'm not a huge fan of Most Haunted. They do a lot of screaming and like I'm like, yeah, <laughs> a little over the top. Then uh, there's usually an episode where somebody gets possessed on the show. Yeah, like, that's a very common occurrence on that show. But this particular episode, nobody got possessed. There was still a lot of screaming. They're very jumpy paranormal investigators, which is something I would expect from like amateur paranormal investigators, like just like every other person that decides to just go out to a haunted location and spend the night. I expect screaming and ah from them. But if you're a professional ghost hunter <laughs> and you have a TV show, keep the screaming to a minimum. It makes it really hard to watch on my laptop with my headphones on. Because <laughs> they're all whispering and talking like this. So I have it turned up really loud. And then all of a sudden, ah, it's like, okay, we got it. Something spooked you. <laughs> yeah, saw a shadow. <laughs> so black. <laughs> but... It was a pretty good episode, and the manor is gorgeous. I mean, it's set up as a museum now, and it's decorated in all Edwardian decor. Yeah. And it, it's a beautiful location, and I looked on a map. It's like smack dab in the middle of the city. Like, there's all these major roads and stuff that go around it. 
And I was like, that that kind of adds to like the coolness of it, I think, to me nowadays. Because I don't know. Anytime I think of England and I think of like manor homes, I always picture them up on a hill. Oh, you know, right. like away from the city and all of that. And like here in Norman, we have, you know, the Montford Inn, which is a really beautiful bread and bed and breakfast, but it's smack dab in the middle of town. Yeah. And but it's still got this gorgeous facade and everything about it. And that's kind of how this house is. When you look at the pictures of it, it looks like it's a country estate. And then you look at the map and know it's right in the middle of everything. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Um, but Brighton sounds like it would be a great place to go and visit, especially if you're into the paranormal. Oh, yeah. Take I, the ghost tours. Yeah. And, and it seems to be a very laid back kind of town from some of the videos I watched. There's some ghost tours that you can go on and you just, I think they meet up in a pub and they just, they're ghost walks. You can go online and search Brighton ghost walks and you, they actually dress up in Victorian attire and walk and tell a story. That's pretty awesome. Through the streets and talk oh, about yeah, the ghosts. I was, I was talking all about that earlier. That website is, um, ghostwalkbrighton.com. Yeah. Uh, where, uh, Silas the Ghost Walker or Jasper Ebenezer takes you on the tour. Um, they're also closed because of the COVID, the COVID right stuff. now. But there's a lot of, like, there was one guy that I was watching getting interviewed um, on YouTube, and he does a ghost walk. I don't think he's part of that one in particular. But basically, he, he was always into the paranormal, and then he was wanted to do acting. So he tried to do acting, and he didn't really have a successful career in acting, so he went and that's what he does now he gets to act and tell ghost stories all <laughs> all night long kind of cool i'd have fun doing that thank you to our brighton listeners for bringing us to brighton england yeah absolutely we had a blast looking into all this and we're looking forward to visiting your neck of the woods sometime yes. but now we're gonna have to head back to the plane station and fly back to america thank you guys for listening this is our 101st episode. Yeah, I feel like a virgin. The first of 100 more. Now, a thousand more. make sure you go onto our website at umpnormalcy.com. Check out our awesome merchandise. You can now buy your COVID masks, your UMP Normalcy COVID masks. They look pretty awesome. They are, they are, they are. Uh, we've sold four so far. Nice, nice, nice. Um, and that wasn't even to me. <laughs> um, you can also look at all the other different merchandise we have t-shirts cell phone cases laptop cases notebooks bags pillows mugs do you do you have shorts on there yet no there's no shorts boxers no. thongs damn it mankinis mankinis <laughs> I like to, I like to I like to keep everything nice and snug downstairs. Also, make sure you check out our Patreon page, UMP Normalcy, or patreon.com slash UMP Normalcy. Follow us on our Facebook, Instagram. Instagram. Instagram, girl. <laughs> Instagram and Twitter. You can find the links in the description of this podcast, so you can just go directly to it. Um, join our Facebook group. I mean, follow the page as well, but the group is where where it's at. Yeah, we we talk to everybody and anybody of all shapes and sizes. Okay, the you guys are why we are here. Okay, we love you. The page is where we kind of make our announcements and stuff, but the group is where we 
share stories and basically gain our energy. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are fucking awesome. Yeah, we're that's where we're interactive with everybody and Yes. And if you have any questions or stories of your own, if you're from Brighton and you have visited Preston Manor, send us pictures, send us your stories. Make sure it didn't happen, baby. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you have another city in, or pl- place in Brighton that is extremely haunted that we didn't cover, send us those stories. Um, and until next time. Keep digging. Where ha ha ha.